This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Read all of our stories over at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. Lots going on at the site. Uh, you know, there's some late summer recruiting buzz. I'm covering a bunch of stuff from the Olympics. And then there's lots of stories st- that are already up, but then more still to come from Big Ten Media Days. And that's what we're going to discuss in today's episode. Uh, Steve and I are going to go back and forth on a couple key takeaways. Uh, we also fielded questions from uh, listeners over on, on my Twitter account. Uh, and then, you know, we'll tackle a little bit of, of another topic that kind of emerged during Big Ten media days, and that is uh, uh, the latest round of conference realignment. So it should be a fun episode, slowly creeping toward football season. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about who we think are the most important players for Michigan this season. We might do our draft like we did last year. Uh, got some got some other fun preseason content coming your way in the in the next uh, month month five weeks is pretty much five weeks from now will be game week so uh for michigan at least so anyway should be should be a fun few weeks but let's talk about big 10 media days steve i was down there you were not but but i i know you followed along a lot of the takeaways from jim harbaugh i don't think were like or, or the michigan players who spoke i don't think were like surprising takeaways but I'm curious, so, so maybe not the biggest surprise or the biggest thing that you learned, but what was, what was the biggest thing that stood out to you from, from, the, from the Big Ten Media Day, from, from Michigan's appearance, I should say? Uh, I'm going to – so the – Harbaugh had a lot of really – Harbaugh's gave, like, I thought more, like, in-depth. You know, it felt like a better interview – than he normally did. And we did the round table stuff as well. He just felt more engaged in the event than he normally has been, which again, I don't know. What does that mean? I don't know. Uh, but it's, that's more, in, it's more interesting to read it, you know, when he's, when there's uh-huh. stuff still flesh out a little bit more, but the, the thing we talked about a little bit before we got on uh, is all the talk about culture and particularly from the defensive players who were in attendance, uh, Hutchinson and, and Josh Ross, uh, thought all the focus on culture in general, how it applies to the Ohio state game, et cetera, et cetera. I thought was, was pretty interesting. You know, maybe the most eye opening stuff, not that it's, I mean, you're not shocking anybody necessarily, but I thought the discussion around Mike McDonald and the focus being a little more on building the culture in the locker room and and on the field together than the X's and O's type stuff I thought was, pretty fascinating when you consider it is going to be a new scheme. I mean, obviously they're focusing on the X's and O's, but uh, to make culture kind of the number one priority, I suppose, from a defensive standpoint, right off the get go, I think is it's smart. Uh, But it was also interesting to kind of hear them sort of go out of the way to, to admit that and talk about that, uh, you know, during the media day stuff. So yeah, Ross and and Hutchinson, great interviews. Uh, They always have been. Uh-huh. You know, but I thought that that was the stuff I thought that stood out the most to me. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it wasn't necessary. I don't think any answer was like surprising. Maybe, maybe the one part where Jim Harbaugh and I, I, I mentioned in my preview of the event that that he probably was going to go one way or the other. He was either going to put his full support behind Cade McNamara, or he was going to tease that it was a quarterback battle. I guess those are really the only two options, but. But I, I sense that he might just continue to build confidence in Cade McNamara because he doesn't really have anything to lose citing Cade McNamara as a starting quarterback. Uh, J.J. McCarthy's not going to transfer as a true freshman if, 
if he isn't listed as co-starter or anything. Um, might be a different story a year from now. You know, maybe maybe that's where McCarthy will want to want to hear his name mentioned as well. Um, and then Alan Bowman, I mean, he just transferred in. He's not gonna, he's not going to turn around and leave just because Harbaugh doesn't call Cade McNamara the starter because Bowman hasn't even been able to practice yet. So so to I think optically it made all the sense in the world. Uh, I think fans probably liked hearing a little bit more of a, uh, you know, say it with authority. Cause I think even Shea Patterson in 2019, when everyone knew he was a starter, you know, Jim still did kind of the, he teased like, Oh, we're working on packages or maybe we have two quarterbacks on the field and say, you know, things like that. Uh, I think saying Cade McNamara was a starter with, a, with authority saying he was a starter, not a surprise, maybe saying it as confidently as he did. That's, that's not something Jim Harbaugh has done at big 10 media days. It, it, I'm running through the scenarios, maybe 2017. He called Wilton Spate the starter ahead of that season, but I, I, all the other times he's, he's almost surprised everyone by insisting that they're, that they're open uh, quarterback battles. I believe Michigan and Rutgers are the only schools to not send a quarterback to big 10 media days yet. Uh, since Jim Harbaugh arrived anyway. So I thought that was, that was obviously notable because it's, it's the quarterback. Um, but yeah, I'm with you on the defensive side of the ball, the, the, the culture, the, uh, I think the bluntness in which they discussed last season, you know, Josh Ross, he called it a reality check. He had a, he had a pretty adamant statement that it, that it was a wake up call. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson, who's always, I always appreciate he doesn't he's a great quote. He isn't like a uh, a PR friendly quote every time. You know, he he he, had, he reeled himself in uh, a decent amount, but you know, he he tells it like it is. And I think his his comments which I shared on on Twitter and I think I included it in the story about Mike McDonald as you said building a culture. You know, obviously there are Xs and Os changes, but you also need your defense to be bought in. And, and Steve, you and I have talked about it. I think, I think last season was a very hard sell for Michigan's defensive players to buy in because really two years in a row, Don Brown had had the exact same season, pretty good against most teams talking about 2018 and 2019, uh, you know, shut down a good amount of teams. And then as soon as they play a dynamic playmaker, uh, the wheels kind of fall off or, or as soon as they play a, a pretty dynamic offense, thinking about Ohio state twice, uh, you know, Wisconsin, um, Florida, trying to think Alabama, you know, those are kind of the, the big ones that stand out. Just seemed like a, I think going into the 2020 season, it felt like Don Brown was kind of maybe not a, not a fired man walking, but it, it, it really, I think very few fans were in support of him being kept after the 2019 season. And I think you and I objectively said, how do you keep him? How do you, how do you convince players that this defense is going to work when the results just really haven't been there in almost three years? And so I think, I think some of it's natural. I think there's going to be naturally more buy-in just because Mike McDonald's he's from the NFL. He's got a lot of newness to his defense. But I think Aiden Hutchinson's point was that, you know, Mike, Mike isn't just fixing the X's and O's. He isn't just coaching in practice. He's, he's trying to make it so that the culture is strong and, and culture can mean a lot of different things in the world of college athletics. I read culture as the players want to work hard for the coaches. Michigan basketball talks about culture all the time. There's lots of layers, there's lots of nuance, but at the end of the day, the impact that it has and what Jawan Howard has built is that the Michigan basketball team wants to work hard and wants to attend practice and wants to buy in. And so I think to me, it was, it was kind of notable just how candid uh, Josh Ross and Aiden Hutchinson were. And, and Hassan Haskins had, had a couple quotes kind of about the offense. He didn't feel like it was, it was dialed in after things started to go south for the season. Um, of course they were going to say things like this because that's the narrative that you have to push. If you're Michigan right now, I mean, you have to, uh, tell yourself, but also tell fans like you, you have to vow for improvement or vow for redemption, things like that. So 
but I think just how candid it was. Yeah, I agree that that stood out uh, quite a bit to me. And, and I think it's something that, that I take, like, I don't think it's just puff. You know, I, I try to filter out the coach speak, you know, kind of what, what has to be said versus what is said. And so, yeah, I felt like, um, I felt like that was significant as far as Jim Harbaugh. He definitely was friendlier. He was friendlier. He smiled more. He, uh, he didn't just answer question and, you know, have long answers for the question. Like a co- the joke is that he often runs out the clock, <laughs> you know, like he knows he has to be there a certain amount of time. So when someone asks about something, he can kind of filibuster on, he does, but no, he actually gave pretty thoughtful answers to a lot of stuff, um, you know, including the Ohio state rivalry. So Steve, I, I think it's been reported. I don't, I think we had a couple posts on it that, that there are countdown clocks again, you know, everyone's seen the uh, weight room sign that says, what are you doing to beat Ohio state today? What did you make of that? Because I, I mentioned before the event that big 10 media days is notorious. Michigan reporters do it. Ohio state reporters do it. It, it happens, but you get asked a lot about the rivalries because all these reporters are paid to be there for two days <laughs> and their team only speaks for one. So of course there was going to be a lot of questions about Ohio state, but the big narrative from all three players and Jim Harbaugh as well was, was it just seemed like a little bit stronger response to, to those questions than in previous years, instead of denying the significance of the rivalry or downplaying it saying, Oh, you know, we are really focused on all of our opponents or, every game matters. Uh, there seemed to be a little bit more of a, of a kick to what they were saying, you know, Jim Harbaugh, do it or die trying. Uh, you know, I think Aiden Hutchins and Josh Ross both had pretty um, colorful quotes about the Buckeyes and, and the renewed focus. What did you make of that? There's a lot of different ways you could kind of take it. Um uh, well, the one thing I didn't really like is like it, what it did, what it did do, uh, sort of created this idea that it, the game isn't cared about as much or whatever. I mean, the idea that Michigan is not doing whatever they can do to beat Ohio State, I think is still kind of a silly situation. In fact, I sometimes have kind of believed that Michigan's biggest issue against Ohio State has been almost a paralysis by analysis type deal. I think they've come out so flat. I think they've come out so flat because I think they're so they're not loose enough in that game. They come out tight and then they're down two touchdowns. Uh, That's my sense. Uh, You know, I could be totally wrong there. We know, we know one thing. Well, you know, a lot of things, but with this stuff, we know one thing from a, from an outward standpoint, both fan base from, from the top down from what you can actually physically see here, whatever is Ohio state is way. It, it comes off that Ohio state is way more into this than Michigan is. So, and that, like I said, that goes everywhere. Um, you have verbal commits for Ohio state that do the cross out their M's and stuff on their social media, like guys who haven't even stepped foot in their locker room or in their weight room and, and stuff like yeah. that. Right. I mean, it's, it's ingrained and, and, you know, so I don't know, like even the, um, uh, the, the, whatever the alumni three on three tournament. I don't know if you saw this, but the Ohio state alumni team, it's, I think it's called like Carmen something. They, they cross out the M they're like nearing 40 years old playing these three on three basketball tournaments. Right. And it's basketball and they're crossing out the M. Right. So one may argue you look at a game like, um, like 18, you know, where Michigan was, I think they were actually favored, you know, Ohio state should have lost to Maryland. And then Ohio State comes out and just waxes Michigan, looks like a completely different team. I think you, if you're somebody on the outside, you could look at that and say, you may have, maybe have a legitimate argument. Well, like, this game is their whole season, even though they have are almost always in the, in the conti- conversation for, like, other aspirations, right? So 
to see this sort of public shift a little bit from Michigan. I, you know, I also think it's, it's, I think it has to be measured to a certain extent from Michigan's end, just because they've had such little success in the rivalry. Uh, I don't think the outward type stuff that you can see from like Ohio state social media or their players or whatever fans like it, it, you know, Michigan's got to win a game or two here to really maybe be able to kind of sit at the table and, and start talking right. a little bit again, but right. <laughs> within the locker room, that's totally different. Um, you know, these are new guys that come in. It's a new team every year, a new opportunity. So, you know, I think, I think seeing them come out publicly about it a little bit more direct, I think is, I don't think it's a negative thing. I mean, at this point it's, um, you know, what, I don't want to say how much worse could it be, but almost, you know, it's like what, what, what type of approach kind of haven't we seen Michigan try to take when it comes to this game? you know, and, and things haven't really worked for whatever reason. So, you know, I look at it as a positive, but it doesn't mean a ton either uh, necessarily, no. at least not right now. Right. So there's it a, it doesn't change what the score is going to be. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, there's still uh the, to defeat, to, to win that game. I think they're going to have to win a lot of games heading up to it, you know, type deal uh, just because, I think it's just that's so there's there are many journeys to be taken from now until November that may have end up having a bigger say in how Michigan will perform in that game, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. To me, I think the the big thing is I think it was um, I think the return of the countdown clocks. I mean, this was this was not something that like only Brady Hoke did. I mean, these were these were things these are things Ohio State does. These are things that are pretty common in Michigan history. I don't know who had the first countdown clock, but it, it wasn't Brady Hoke. Um, I, I don't think it hurts because I think it, it, it gives you just a little bit more motivation in the summer, gives you just a little bit more motivation in, 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 you know, when you're doing like bench press and you know, Michigan state players, they do what's called a Michigan rep. So if they're doing 10, 10 reps, even if they're tired or gassed or whatever, you know, like come in for, for the Michigan rep. And, and, and I don't know that that, like, I mean, in theory, you could just do more reps if you have one more in you, but, but I think it, it just helps with the motivation, helps you push maybe a little further than, you know, you're just, you're just out there a little longer before you're satisfied with your day's work. But I think really to me, what it was, is I think it was a glimpse into what the leadership for this year's Michigan team is going to be like. And I think Ross, I know, I know people have misgivings about his game, um, but you know, Ross and Hutchinson both grew up Michigan fans in the state of Michigan. They're, they're they have family members that played for Michigan, starred for Michigan. And I think they're the kind of players who, really can embrace the well they take a lot of pride in in trying to turn Michigan back around I mean I think that I think that they it means a little bit more to them than I think other captains or players in the past like I think it's really 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 personal to them so I think they're a part you know when they say they're taking Ohio State seriously I think that's like a glimpse into just how they operate. And Jim Harbaugh had an interesting quote about this. He talked about he's looking for players with that gene, uh, you know, that, that, that pushing, even when a lot of people are laughing at them, even when a lot of people are saying it can't be done, they just keep pushing. And I think he, he mentioned, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, Josh Ross is two guys who have that gene. I mentioned Hassan Haskins. There, there were a few players he mentioned, but but to me, I think that's a sign. Going back to the culture problem, I, I, I'm curious. You know, I'll I'll learn a little bit more about my working theory when we talk to players and coaches in August. But it, that seems to be a little bit of of what's different about this season, this off season versus last off season. I think last off season, you know, I think Aiden Hutchinson straight up and said that there was a lot of complacency. Uh, if he didn't say complacency, he used a different word. Um, and I think there was a lot of like, 
I guess not entitlement in the sense of being spoiled, but, but believing that it would happen if they did the work. Now there's a little bit of that doubt and there's a little bit of that. Okay. You know, they, they do need the corny or not, not, not corny, but they, they, they can benefit from extra motivation. They can benefit from kind of putting a chip on their shoulder about the rivalry, about everything. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson brought up a good point. Why focus on Ohio state instead of other teams? Well, if you can beat Ohio state, you're probably beating the other teams on your schedule. I mean, it's not <laughs> there. I think they've lost what five big 10 games since 2014, something insane like that. Um, it's, it's crazy. And so I, I, I actually think I actually kind of like it. And I think it, it shows that there's, that there's a little bit more of a, of a tenacity to Michigan's leadership this season players uh, and coaches too. It's, it's worth noting Mike Hart, Ron Bellamy, you know, they're not going to sit there and say Ohio state's just another game. Hey, Mike Hart probably, he's probably, you know, a big part of why he came back to Michigan. Obviously he loves Michigan and he's, he's getting compensated well, but I'm sure he would love to get a victory over Ohio state. Yeah. Ron Bellamy. I don't know his record against Ohio state, but, but he obviously takes it really seriously too. So, so yeah, to me, I don't think it changes my opinion of how that game will unfold. I think I would like to, you know, I think I'm in the boat where I think Ohio state's going to win pretty easily until Michigan proves otherwise. Same time. I think it showed that Michigan, you know, if you need the countdown clocks, fine. But if it gets you locked in, it doesn't really matter what you need. You just need to be locked in and, and practicing. Well, harder than last season. I think that's fair to say. Um, Steve, anything else stand out to you from Big Ten Media Days? Nothing in particular. I mean, a lot of what Jim Harbaugh said about NIL and stuff was, I think, expected. Pretty much what everyone said about NIL is what you expected. I, I yeah. did I did appreciate him saying that your tape is still your best brand. I thought that was a good quote. And I think, by and large, outside of, like, an extenuating circumstance like an Adrian Nunez, I, I actually think that Harbaugh is spot on that your tape is still going to be your best brand. You know, the, the, the guys who perform on the field are the guys who are going to get the opportunities. Right. So right. I think that's actually a really good way to approach it in the locker room too. Cause we talked in a couple episodes ago with the NIL stuff. It's like talking about all the, the Pandora's box of like just possibilities and like scenarios and stuff. Uh, I think, I think a being fully in favor of it, which Harbaugh has been in favor of this before maybe literally almost anybody in college fo football was for NIL. Um, yeah. I mean, he's been, no, that's not true. He had a big thing against it back in 2019. He was, he was in favor of it before it became before July 1st, but he had that whole weird press conference where he went on for like, five minutes how he wants amateur sports to be amateur sports and he wants to do it. He wants players to, you don't remember that? Well, clearly I don't. <laughs> okay. I thought he was, maybe there's, there's what's the other, what's there was another thing that One he was time big... transfer. He was okay. way ahead of yeah, he, right. he honestly, I think he deserves some credit for getting it into the national conversation. Right. right. He's, yeah. but my, I guess really he's always, he's always leaned very heavily towards player, like player rights, yes. player, like he's a been a big advocate for the student athlete for sure. So agreed either way um, that. And then the other thing, and I think Sam made a point to post this on our board, which was a, another clear takeaway was the comment about the offensive coordinator situation Um about Gaddis and, and how Sharon Moore and Josh Gaddis are dividing responsibilities, mm -hmm. which co-OC is, I think, really more of a title than anything else. Josh Gaddis is still really kind of the guy running the offense, obviously. Um, not to take anything away from Sharon Moore, but we see the co-title kind of added a lot for a, a little added incentive, you know, in, in like a contract type situation or whatever. But um, like he, he said, I think the way we – the way we've come the furthest on offense is there's real trust. The offensive coaches trust Josh and myself. Josh trusts the other offensive coaches, respects them, thinks they're good. Interesting comment, right? I mean, mm -hmm. very interesting. 
And so, you know, you wonder because a couple changes made on the offensive side of the ball. You bring Jay Harbaugh, move him, shift him over to tight ends. I think you bring Mike Hart in. Uh, Sharon Moore takes over the offensive line. You know, I thought that was a fascinating comment uh, regarding some maybe inconsistencies in the trust over the last couple seasons. So, yep. You know, again, we know that's it's one of those things where it's like it is. It's really interesting. It's kind of hard to break down. You know, we that's going to be something that isn't. It's going to manifest itself on the field, or it's not going to. Uh, but nonetheless, it felt like a semi-pointed comment and one that you know probably stood out more than most, if not all, of Harbaugh's individual comments in the entire session. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a good one, and and yeah, the trust among the assistant coaches seemed to be a very common narrative Harbaugh mentioned in the press conference, and I don't think that was by accident. You know, I think he, I think that was something he he really feels hundred percent, and really 100%. wanted to really wanted to get out there as well. Um, just to just before someone <laughs> tweets at me or shoots me a message. Harbaugh did change his mind on name image likeness since those 2019 comments. But yeah, there's a Monday fall press conference in 2019 where he, his argument was that college has always been amateur sports and, um, and he wanted to keep all, I think 27 varsity sports at Michigan intact. And, um, so I don't think he was necessarily against players getting compensated, but I think he had reservations. And by a, by the time a year later hit, I think he was, you know, his open letter to college football or open letter to football period. Um, I, I agree with you, Steve. He's been very for the players from a po- college football policy perspective. Anyway, just wanted to make sure no one says, well, he said, because he did have other quotes in favor of NIL in the past 12 months put it like that anyway uh tackling one question from the fans uh krt says a lot of people are up in arms after harbaugh mentioned haskins and quorum as rb1 and that edwards would play from day one uh he says isn't this the best case scenario if done properly isn't running back by committee pretty much the norm now with short running back lifespans um yeah, I'm a little surprised people aren't up in arms. I mean, I guess I guess people are still annoyed about last year's rotation, and and is that the concern? Uh, I think I think Haskins and Corum look like co RB ones. You know, they they kind of do two different things, in my opinion, or they're two different types of running backs. And I think Edwards. I still there's still a part of me that wonders if Edwards has a J.K. Dobbins. Jonathan Taylor type freshman season, but I think heading into fall camp without having done a fall practice yet, I don't think you can put him as a clear cut number one right now. Uh, I think they've got three really good running backs who will all who all deserve carries and will get carries. Um, I agree with you, KRT. I think this is the best case scenario. Steve, anything to add there? It's weirdly like not much different from last year if Edwards. Really that is might ready be a concern, go. though, couldn't you Well, I, I, right. So, again, we've talked almost, I feel like every episode it comes up somehow, but <laughs> how if we did it last year, Chris Evans would have split out more. That would have opened up a lot of things. So they didn't really do that very much. <clears throat> I think it's fine. Like, I agree. Like, the yeah, the point, is, like, the way that, uh, not necessarily committee, but close, you know, it's like the idea that, yeah, you're not, the days of, uh, well, I mean, Michigan won like when they ran Charbonnet how many times against Army? Uh, Thirty-three. Right, you're not going to see that that often anymore. Uh, no, very few teams do it. Right. So, and if they do, it probably means they don't have anyone else. Yes, exactly. Well, Michigan does have guys, and uh, so yeah, no, I know. I agree. I don't think this is a. It's weird to think when it, <laughs> Haskins has been pretty productive. You could argue he was one of their best players last year. To have a guy mm-hmm. now in the conversation, to, to put it 1A, 1B, to me that says that that second guy has has made some strides This in this instance, Corum. 
And then you have Edwards, obviously, as a yeah, five-star freshman, you know, a guy I still think should have been ranked even higher based off of he was just so good in his state playoffs last year. I mean, that was a it was a different player. Um I think like I don't know how you could say that's a bad thing. I think people maybe are a little scarred from how weirdly things were kind of split last year. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't yeah, I don't look at it as I definitely don't look at it as a negative. I, I have a, maybe a little more faith that it'll it'll work out to Michigan's benefit um this season than it did last. Just because yeah, and the other thing is, and this is where it's similar to last year. I feel like all three of these guys are like have different skill sets and like there's got there, there are ways to utilize that, you know? So I understand the hesitancy of some based on how last year kind of went down from that, that sole aspect, you know, the, the running back rotation, it was, it was interesting, but I think with three guys and you have a clear cut top two, I think maybe kind of changes it a little bit because the Chris Evans thing, I think I don't want to say threw a wrench in because I he was my pick out of the draftees. I think he's gonna, I think he's going to be great. I think he's going to be a good NFL player, right? I mean, they're already hyped. They're already like him in Cincinnati. I know the coaches have made comments about him mm-hmm. and stuff. But having a fourth guy kind of in that mix, you know, when when Corum got the first touch of the year last year, uh, you immediately kind of wondered, okay, you had Zach Charbonnet almost had a thought. You know, he had what a freshman record for touchdowns. You had Haskins, who was the quietly, maybe the most consistent of the backs. You have this stud freshman, and then you also get Chris Evans back. It was, you know, just a different kind of combo. And and like I said, I think it could have been handled differently, particularly with Evans. But um, but for this season, I, I, do, I think it's more of a benefit. We just got to see if they can kind of figure out a way to make it work. You know, I, I, I think players – are more apt to being open to letting other guys run the ball for that simple reason of the, the mileage and stuff at back. I mean, mm-hmm. I just saw Todd Gurley talking about Todd Gurley. Um, I don't know who he was being looked at by. It was like hard to believe. It's like Todd Gurley's already on the back end of his NFL career. It feels like yesterday Todd yeah. Gurley was at, at Georgia, you know, tearing it up. So if that gives you an idea, right. So, I think it's to the player's benefit too, that maybe you're not, you don't need to, you know, if you do have a guy who has a hot hand or something like that, you know, maybe you kind of go with the flow in that regard, you know, you don't hamstring yourself and say X, Y, Z, you're getting the same amount of carries, that type of crap, but you know, limit and manage because you have enough talent there and guys that can produce. So I think, you know, I think it's, you, you know, to have three talented players like that, ready to go, that that can't be a bad thing on the surface. It's just now we have to see how they kind of handle it. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh shown he can have a rotation of three running backs. I do. I, I personally think four gets a little crowded. I think that can be really tough, especially, I mean, last season it just looked extra bad because they were, they were trailing so much. So they had to pass. Um, and so, you know, nobody's getting enough carries. I, I think three, I mean, there's, there's plenty of history with three. The only thing I would caution if I were advising Michigan, they're not asking for my advice, but the only thing I would add is if one, if someone looks like they can run for 1500 yards, give them the ball, you know, Travis Etienne, JK Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, you know, Saquon Barkley. It, you know, there are certain running backs who can, just really pop. I think, as you said, the hot hand, make sure you're paying attention to who gets the hot hand. I I, I would imagine Michigan, Michigan is, I I assume, I mean, Mike Hart, I think has coached thousand yard rushers. I think he understands kind of what it's about. Um, But yeah, at this juncture, really, I I read Harbaugh's comments as him just saying, yeah, all three are going to play, which I think is all, all he can say right now. I mean, it, you know, there's a, there's a, they're all pretty young or, 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 you know, Haskins, I guess, isn't that young. He's effectively a junior at running back. Uh, but, you know, Corum didn't get, he's had one set of spring practices, one fall camp, six games under his belt. Edwards has less than that. He has obviously uh, just the spring practices so far. So 
I think him saying that was just him saying all three are going to play. I actually felt like his, he, you know, he was asked about every position group um, throughout the course of the hour that he spoke with us. Felt like his depth chart was more or less the same. I, I posted a, a little VIP note. And in that I mentioned, I think I'm ready to pencil it. Mozzie Smith in as a starter on the defensive line based on all the comments. And then DJ Turner sounds like might, might be um, either neck and neck or even slightly ahead of Vincent Gray at this juncture for the number two cornerback spot, which is another kind of like KRT says another probably best case scenario for Michigan is that someone is ascending to unseat a returning starter who, who had some struggles last season. So anyway, we're going to hit a quick break on the other side. A quick little discussion about everyone's favorite college football topic, conference realignment. This is the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back. Thanks for waiting. So the same week that all these conferences were having their media days and, and all these conference commissioners were, were speaking and kind of it's it's an annual thing where they tout their conference and you know, how close it is and everything. Um, Texas and Oklahoma banded together and and decided to look elsewhere. I guess they haven't officially joined the Big Twelve or the SEC, excuse me. Um, but there is pretty much as strong reports as you can. I think I think both schools have released statements about it. Uh, so yeah, it's they're going to join the SEC. <laughs> just a matter of when not if which could you know be the you know the pin and the grenade that kind of starts to shuffle everything it sounds like the sec is trying to build uh maybe a super conference you know there are rumors that michigan and ohio state we'll talk about them in a moment were were contacted clemson and florida state were contacted you know maybe maybe they're trying to build just a gigantic you know, really high level conference that can, that can take over college football. Uh, but even if that doesn't happen, suddenly the big 12 is down to eight teams. So they're obviously either going to add teams or lose teams. I don't think they're sticking at eight uh, <laughs> moving forward, especially not without their two big brands in Texas and Oklahoma. Um, so there's lots of, lots of things being discussed. We'll try to keep it to a Michigan Big Ten perspective, Steve. Let's start with with this. If if Michigan gets a call from another conference saying you can join or we'd like you to join this conference, should Michigan stay on the line? I mean, should they should they consider it if it's if it's being presented to them? I don't think yet. Or not really. I mean, isn't the Big Ten still? Did they generate the most revenue still of anybody? No, the SEC. Well, okay. Now I don't know if they will every year, but the SEC obviously they had more games. Right. Last they had bigger last, payouts. Yeah. Last year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the Big Ten didn't even play. Like most of the teams didn't play. Right. Nearly a right. full season. So. No, I don't think so. Not yet. I mean, tech like the SEC. It just works out so well for the SEC. Because you know, with Texas and Oklahoma, they really barely expand their footprint, so it's not they're still not stressing out the you know I've seen people talk about somehow kind of bringing the Pac-12 in or like getting some picking off some Pac-12 teams, which I think you and I would agree. I think what you got the five power conferences, the Big 12 looks dead in the water. I think the Pac-12 would be the next. Yeah, I think most so. liable of the five, right? Um, yeah. You know, 
and I don't know if you do it to where you basically are still two separate conferences and then the, the West, a West coast team plays a Midwest team, you know, if, if the big 10 took some pac 12s, like how that works. But, you know, cause I always think of like, I think of like West Virginia in the big 12, like all the travel and stuff that their teams have to do mm-hmm. for conference season. It's insane. Well, and the fans just don't enjoy, I mean, maybe they enjoy it, but like, it's not like they have a natural rivalry with none Iowa state or, or it's Texas not like the fans or, interact right. with each other. Yeah, right. Exactly. So for the sec, it works out. Yeah. Really well. You already have AM. Oklahoma's just there. So like that, if Arkansas, were, they have some history with. Right. There were two, if there were two teams they could pick off, maybe nationally, outside of like, no, probably to, probably period. When you consider the the markets and all that stuff, because you'd say you could say Clemson, Florida State. I mean, Texas's market is a top five, if not higher, level market. Mm-hmm. Uh, to add that to the mix, you know that, that that's a best case scenario for them. When it comes to the Big Ten, it's like I, I don't know what direction you kind of go. Do you, do you go the, cause I did see the, the report this morning about the AAU credential stuff, you know, yeah. where they, they're only taking an AAU credential team, which would cut out a lot of the, at least this further South, you go some of the potential football powers that some have maybe thrown around a little bit, but do you go the basketball route? Right. I mean, do you, do you, do you try to raid the ACC? and get like a Virginia and Duke and North Carolina. Um, you know, I, I, two things. Yeah. I think the PAC 12 is much more susceptible than the ACC, but I don't think the ACC is immune Two, I think the big 10 is that not the other it's the S I think the SEC and the big 10 are the, the two big dogs. I think the big 10 is the one most primed to, to add. I don't think you're going to see schools depart, right. Unless they, unless they, tell a school to depart or get lost. I don't know if they can even do that, but you know, those are the two biggest things for me. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know with football. It feels like it's going to be sec is going to, it's going to be a football factory. It already kind of is. You had Texas mm-hmm. and Oklahoma to the mix Michigan or uh, the big 10. It's like, could go the opposite route with basketball. Uh, I know Kansas was mentioned, which Kansas is obviously such a hugely underwhelming addition from a football standpoint, but from a, is as appealing maybe from a basketball standpoint. So I don't know. I mean, what do you think? I, I like I, I've seen like SC and UCLA and, and, or in Washington and like all these wild West programs mentioned. And it's like, I just don't, unless you bring over like enough teams from that region to just make your own big 10 West or like, well, there's already a big 10 West, big 10 West, West, division um i don't know how you only would add like a handful of those schools how do you you know what if like you're telling me Rutgers has to fly to go play ucla <laughs> right you know or something like that just like, it does logistically make zero sense so if the west coast route is a potential option i think you have to you're gonna end up having to take seven or eight programs i would think and then what i mean this is this all going towards two you know two big ones Like, so it feels like though. Um, So I don't. I mean, this is almost like you're building towards an AFC NFC, except yeah, each each league is the size of a full NFL. You know, yeah. Um, And at at that point, I think you would almost see something where, like, like I'm imagining. Well, say the say the Big Ten added, I don't know, most of the Pac-12. You know, there's a couple schools in there that maybe don't have the brand and might get left behind. But um, let's say they add the California four, you know, Oregon, Washington, Arizona, and Colorado, all of which are AAU institutions, by the way. Um, yeah. At that point, you basically you send Nebraska out there too. And you basically just have like almost two separate conferences and maybe they have the, the same name. But yeah, at some point, I mean, you know, even the SEC is going to have this too, where like, it's not like these schools are going to all play each other every year. Right. I you're mean, still, if they have you, 16, like. <laughs> I mean, there, I assume there'd be programs that you'd go through. Like, I know they all they already kind of do the rotation, but I assume there'd be programs in a, in a scenario like that. You're going to go four or five years without playing a certain program. So really it, it all just kind of ends up, you're almost spinning your wheels a little bit because yeah, you're playing in the same conference, but 
you know, how many, how many Michigan fans are going to like, you know, I always think of the other thing I think of when you especially talk about going out West, I always think about how annoying it was when the wings would play like Anaheim or San Jose in the playoffs. And it's like half of the series then is starting at like the game is starting at 10 o'clock at night, you know, Mm -hmm. um, how do you manage that? Maybe for the teams that don't draw primetime slots, right? I mean, you're going to have to start some games late at night. So that's why you talk about like a, you know, if Purdue has to go to Washington, they're not going to play that game. And, you know, that's not going to be a 3.30 slot probably, you know. So what does that do? If you're going to Seattle, the game's probably going to start at 10 o'clock at night, the same as it would if Washington was hosting Oregon State. Right. You know, so it's like there's all that too. I think it's just – um you know, it's just, yeah, it's just all weird. But it, again, it all kind of boils down to the money, you know, and then, so I don't know. Yeah. I still wonder, I think there's a little bit more smoke to the whole football. The football powers are just going to leave the NCAA and just kind of have a, just operate like a pro league. I mean, not they, they're not paying players necessarily, but, but they can police themselves. They can operate their own things and just make their own schedules. Cause yeah, I think the NCAA is running a situation where they're kind of, I think they're hurting schools more than they're helping schools at this point. You know, I think this summer allowing NIL compensation, allowing one-time transfer uh, for good, you know, the extra year they've made some good decisions lately, but it, yeah, it just seems like, seems like, moves like this is basically these conferences are gathering <laughs> the the power and the capital to yeah basically just have like an AFC and an NFC almost um because I wonder I I don't I really wonder if the SEC is having conversations with Clemson Miami Florida State and I would throw Georgia Tech into the conversation because they have a natural rivalry with Georgia you know, add those four teams, you have the entire Southern, uh, Southeastern part of the United States is, is all yours, but then suddenly the ACC is ripe for the picking too. So yeah, I'm, I think it's very easy to get down the rabbit hole. I think in the short run, I got to think the big 10 is open to adding two teams, um, just to compete with the SEC's 16. The ACC made a lot of schools sign these really big, gigantic financial buyouts, which I suppose a team could pay, but that that does seem to keep them guarded. So Louisville, Notre Dame, I think Pitt, Virginia, those are some of the schools that, that geographically and academically make sense uh, to join the Big Ten. Feels like Kansas and Iowa State could be added tomorrow, though. Um, you know, Iowa State, they're already in Big Ten territory. Kansas is not too far disconnected, if I'm not mistaken. They're both AAU institutions. As you mentioned, the Big Ten only going to add AAU institutions. Neither school really is going to rock the earth joining the Big Ten. Uh, I guess Iowa State's primed for a pretty good season. But I think a big thing that that's kind of spurred this, is I think that 12-team playoff, because suddenly Texas and Oklahoma, for a long time, Oklahoma was kind of riding the good life. <laughs> they were playing, you know, the Kansas States, Kansas, TCU, you know, very beatable teams. As long as they didn't lose twice, they were going to the playoff. But now I think with that expanded playoff, I think there's a little bit more of a Hey, play the good teams, be a part of the big games. Not just to make sure you make the playoffs, but to also stand out to recruits and everything. So, um, yeah, feels like Kansas and and Iowa State would be added. Steve, do you think those are the the best choices? Should the Big Ten kind of do what they did with Rutgers and Maryland and maybe look for the revenue-boosting schools like in L.A. or, or Dallas or I think Georgia Tech is quietly a pretty would be a pretty significant addition. Um, I guess if you were the Big Ten, 
what's your approach? Because you're making tons of money as it is. Now you're kind of thinking about competitive, you know, what's what's the competition level? How are you making a conference that that can compete with the SEC? I don't think that they really can from a football only standpoint, but from a fan base identity, I guess, overall purpose of college sports standpoint, how important is it to add the two teams and, and which two teams would be your first calls? So the one fascinating argument, not really fascinating, it's pretty actually makes a lot of sense. It's not really um, a novel thought, but it just makes a ton of sense is, is to go West still. But if it's only two, like I said, it's hard to only, it's hard to go West. If you're only going to add two Kansas and Iowa state make a decent amount of sense. Like I said, you talk about Kansas, the football versus basketball aspect, Iowa state right now, kind of a sleeper pick for a potential playoff team this year and football, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so in the present, but, you know, long-term, what is Iowa State on the football field? Are they back to mediocrity if Matt Campbell was to take a bigger job? Like, there's a lot of questions there, I think, for them across the board. The one reason, though, to go west is, you know, you could create a situation where Michigan is – or I keep saying Michigan instead of the Big Ten, where the Big Ten is on every time slot, like, throughout yeah. the entire day. Well, and if they teamed up with the Pac-12, they could be, they could honestly have a channel that's as big as like an FS1. You know, they could really like, like it wouldn't just be the Big Ten Network, a nice regional channel that, you know, is on throughout much of the Midwest. Like it could be like a legit national channel. I feel like. Right. Think about like so. So think say they added those like seven or eight schools out west, right? You get Colorado. Oregon, Washington, whatever, USC, UCLA, you know, yeah, you're talking about a situation where you could argue from noon until, I mean, you could have 12, you had 13, 14 hours of like live sports, live football coverage. True. Every Saturday of the year where what would, what could happen is, Maybe Michigan, let's say maybe in Michigan, like maybe Michigan doesn't play Washington or maybe Michigan doesn't play Oregon. You still think, though, if they're technically part of the Big Ten, that a Michigan fan at 10 o'clock at night would be more liable to tune in and watch Oregon play Nebraska than they would maybe to watch Mississippi State play. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, I so it, it would create a situation where they would be on TV all day every Saturday of college football season. And I think it would create more national interest in the programs that actually become a part of the conference because they are a part of the conference. I think it would create more vested interest in fans that might not normally tune in to watch those games, knowing, you know, think about it. If if they do four divisions or two giant divisions or whatever, there's a chance your team will play one of these teams at the end of the year still, you know, if they do, I assume they do some kind of crossover or some kind of, you know, way to determine a true, true champion. But so that would be the the motivation there. Um, and I think from that standpoint, it does make some sense. It's just, it's still kind of hard to wrap your head around like a, you know, 30 team conference. It just is, it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating, but I feel like it's been headed in this direction for years not surprised to see the big 12 is the first sort of domino to go. You know, what'll be fascinating is you talk about the big 10, not wanting to add AAUs or non AAU programs is where some of these, where do some of these other programs end up? Do they do their own? You know, like you look at, like, I know uh, like a pit pits in the ACC, but like, like a West Virginia, I guess is one school. I'll be fascinated to see what happens with West Virginia. If the big 12, like just completely, breaks yeah. apart right like what do they do because they've already already been kind of the sort of the odd man out in the big 12 we talked about the travel and stuff like from them for their travel compared to every other school in the conference it was like some outrageous number i know one of our guys that covers west virginia is fully convinced that it's impacted their national um they've kind of faltered in the tournament well you know when they've always been pretty highly ranked it's like he's convinced that it's from them having so much more travel 
throughout the course of the season than other programs. Oh, okay. I think it makes some sense. I mean, in the macro sense, you know, it's like having, having to go back to, to Texas and then say you play Texas Tech the next weekend in Lubbock or something, you know, it's like that's uh, that's strenuous for a student athlete. But anyway, I digress. Just saying there are going to be one school I'll be fascinated to see what kind of happens there and, and, and where are the remnants of the Big 12 kind of end up. Because, yeah, now you have, what, a handful of small schools – smaller schools in the state of Texas that don't have a home now either. Talk about Baylor, TCU, Texas tech, you know, where do those guys go? So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Just closing it up. I think, I think it will be fascinating to see because I, I agree with you that I don't think Michigan would field calls to leave the big 10, but one Component, and, and we did get a question about this, would Michigan and Ohio State team up or kind of have each other's backs in a departure like this? Would Michigan and Ohio State do the same thing that Texas and Oklahoma did? And I think Texas and Oklahoma did. A, I mean, this, this sets an interesting precedent because they're, they're not, the disparity in the Big Ten isn't quite as vast, but it is kind of crazy that, Michigan and Ohio state are getting the same revenue from the big 10, you know, annual conference payouts as Northwestern, you know, who had, I think their football account has like 30,000 followers or something in that zone. And and Michigan has like a million, Uh, they're getting the same payouts as Purdue. Uh, I think these days now as Rutgers, Illinois, you know, so I'm, I'm curious to see if Michigan and Ohio State, and I still, part of me still thinks Ohio State fans would actually prefer to go to the SEC at this point, uh, especially if Oklahoma and Texas are joining in. I, I think for a few years, they felt like the Big Ten was holding them back. But now I'm, I'm curious if Ohio State and Michigan kind of start to put some pressure on the Big Ten, like, hey, maybe maybe a full even keel revenue sharing isn't the way to go if because the big schools draw in more viewers they draw in a little you know more i guess ticket sales they get drawn more um they draw in more money they do i mean <laughs> yeah they michigan and ohio state are getting nearly 200 million in in revenue athletic in their athletic departments every year so I'm curious about that point. I don't think that they would leave for like the ACC or, or, or the SEC, but I do wonder if they at least pick up the phone just so that they can have some leverage and maybe negotiate something behind the scenes with the big 10. Um, Cause yeah, it's ever all, all bets are off on all of this. I, I actually really like it. I always look like looking at the maps and I I've devised a power, you know, 64, that's like eight very regionally bound divisions that make a lot of competitive balance sense. I think, I think every football fan's done that at some point in the past 10 years. Uh, but now it's, you know, with, with name image likeness, with the expanded playoff, uh, with transfers, with um, I guess TV revenue isn't growing. So that'll be an interesting component is what these negotiations look like with more people streaming and TV revenue in general falling. But yeah, it's going to be, I think the card got taken out of the, the, the card pyramid, right? So some, something's going to fall somewhere. One, another conference is going to either dissipate or, or, or endure a, a, a severe downgrade in prestige. So whether it's the AAC, the ACC, the Big 12, the Pac-12, maybe the Big 10. Somewhere, some, so, somewhere soon there's going to start to be changes because I don't think the big 12 is going to stay at eight. So whether they fold or add a bunch of teams really quickly, um, the realignment game has, has started up once again, it was calm for about five years. Now they're starting back up. Anyway, uh, any, any final thoughts on conference realignment? Not really. Okay. Uh, So with that, we're going to wrap up our podcast. Be sure to listen to all of our podcasts. Yes, Steve and Sam do a a recruiting podcast. There's a basketball podcast, uh, especially during during the winter. They get all sorts of really great guests, uh, including Tim McCormick, who's on every episode. 
So be sure to check it all out at the Michigan Insider Podcast Network. Throw us a rating. Throw us a subscribe. Uh, tell your friends about it if you like it. I'm Zach Shaw for Steve Lorenz. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. See you next time.